So I was just uh, checking the water uh, before air. It sounds like, Dustin, you're not familiar with the meme of Dude's Rock. I am not. It's yeah, it's, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's talking about dudes and how they rock, either uh, earnestly or not. So uh, just like American history? Yeah, exactly. Okay. This movie's kind of a dude's rock movie. Okay, when you, when okay, you think, okay. If you think about it, this is a dude's rock movie. Oh, yeah, of course it is. <laughs> I mean, you know, oh, the women. Oh, the women in this movie. But we'll we'll get to that, I guess. Yeah, uh, my 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 sincere belief is that a queer reading of this movie is the only thing that saves it. Yes. Joel Schumacher, like I, th- I think, saves this movie from being an absolute disaster. I'll tell you what: the first two minutes of this movie is a different movie. That sort of floating camera, watching him in the traffic jam. That's a David Lynch silly, like a, weird, surreal. I was thinking as a comedy sketch. Like yeah, it, yeah, it's a it's a little contained thing unto itself. <laughs> like it's like yeah. yeah, it's like this weird like yeah, you go screwball with it a little bit, yeah, like Twin Peaks yeah. kind of tone. Yeah. Like that's totally a thing, but no, that's not the movie it ends up being. I really like the uh, like him and Duvall kind of just like I, I don't know having your two main characters be in the same geographic space. At the start yeah. of the movie. But never run into each other. Yeah. yeah. That's a fun touch. Never yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's cool. Just have them be, interact via like the same conditions or like right. on the board. Yeah. Now, have we all, we're kind of jumping ahead, but we've all seen this before, right? I have. Yeah. 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 Okay, just cool. once or twice. This is, yeah. yeah the second movies, time I've seen it. But... As a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. Was, it, was probably on TV a lot. I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't think so. No, I think I like I deliberately watched this because I was it was referenced a lot. Yeah, like, I remember having enough cultural cla- cachet in the '90s still that like I was aware of it and gotcha. wanted to catch it out as a teen. Gotcha. Well, hello everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honor Cast. We gather around a table and we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film says course. This week's film is Falling Down, starring Michael Douglas, directed by Joel Schumacher, and we'll be talking about it. I am still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I'm still Dalton, and yes, don't worry, we'll address it. <laughs> yes, it w- yeah, we're gonna we'll get to it for sure. In case you're tuning into the Good Trash Honor Cast for the very first time, we want you to know, dear friends and neighbors, that this film or this podcast rather is an analysis podcast, not a review podcast, and that means spoilers. So we're gonna find out what ends up happening to Michael Douglas in the end. Will he and his family be re- re- reunited, and will be hearts and rainbows and unicorns, or perhaps? Not, but we'll get to that, but we'll avoid that at the first part of the show in case you have not caught the movie and you want to get an idea of what we're about and then decide whether or not you want to see the movie or care to be spoiled or not. And this is how it looks. Synopsis, spoiler free. Thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. Very spoiler light, just like any review you might hear or read uh, on another podcast or read in a, uh, well, I was going to say in a newspaper, but that's really funny. Uh, read on the internet. Then finally... What's a newspaper? What's, newspapers what internet pages used to be. Um... <laughs> Anyway, am I wrong? I'm, yeah, exactly. That's kind of why I'm like, huh? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we're going to begin to expand the syllabus, and that's going to involve perhaps some gentle spoilers as well, but probably more likely spoiling films in the orbit of this film rather than the film itself. Though we might have to explicitly spoil part of the movie. We, we, we yeah. play a little fast and loose there. And then finally we get down to business. There's music that says we've gotten down to business and down to our socks. And then you'll know that all spoiler bets are off. So that is your warning, my friends. Worn my Mister Rogers socks today. No, I, I'm wearing um, animal socks from the Muppets. I'm just wearing traditional black socks. Excellent, perfect. I think they're attire. called business socks. They, those are business socks, actually. Uh, I believe they are. And you know, well, anyway, enough said about that. Arthur, voice the cinema. You're still the voice of the cinema to me. You'll you'll never Always. not be. Um, can we That's hear why a I got tattooed on my lower back. Oh, excellent. <laughs> I, I noticed it the other day. Um, we have good times in the office. Go ahead, Arthur. Let's hear that synopsis, please. 
On the hottest day in L.A.'s recorded history, a frustrated man leaves his car in traffic and makes off on a trek home. As his odyssey takes him across Los Angeles, his frustration continues to build. Outburst, violence, and death ensue. It's up to a retiring cop to piece the incidents together and bring the man down before things get worse. I like that Arthur Synopsis understands Michael Douglas's role in this film. Yes. I don't know that all synopses of this movie do. I'm cur- I haven't consumed a lot of them, but I suspect not. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, well, let's go ahead and go. We've already uh, established that we've all seen the film before. Um, I did fail to mention while we were talking about it, this was during the period of time in which if I watched a movie on HBO or Cinemax or any of the other premium cable channels, I recorded it on a VCR. And so this movie was in my library. And so it's a movie I've seen a handful of times. Just I'd go back. You had three movies on a a VHS. Three movies on a VHS. I forget what else it was with, but I would would watch this movie alongside those other movies. And written labels. Uh, Yes. Uh, Because, you know, the 90s. But that being said, I want to go to you first, Dalton. What do you say in terms of your review of this re-experience of Falling Down? I'm not entirely sure this movie can be uh, enjoyed as anything other than an ideological exercise, you know, which is fun for our purposes. You know, this is a sort of what we get off on doing. But I don't I don't know it's like a great movie to watch, you know. If I if I hadn't been doing it for the show, I definitely wouldn't have watched it. It's not something I'm like, "Ooh, let's go revisit Falling Down." Because it's a bummer. It's a character study of a fucking deranged white guy. Uh, And there's a lot of those in the world. And I think the movie knows that. I think there's a very specific choice that's made at the credits of this movie to credit him as D. Finn's, his uh, license plate, as opposed to his first and last name, which we do learn before the end of the film. Bill something. Will Forster. Yeah. Yeah, Generic. Yeah name but he's he's a cartoon character uh from from the 50s i mean with a shirt and tie and his brush cut and his, his glasses like he's dilbert on a bad day i'm saying dilbert's dude. worst day ever <laughs> yeah scott adams just really finally gone off the handle uh putting the twitter down and picking up the pitchfork or whatever and that's that's what it's it's so much uh we'll, we'll talk about this term later but it's it's so much about a grieved entitlement mm-hmm. and this this need to lash out at the world around you and if that a movie like that, and there's lots of movies like this movie, um, and we've talked about some of them on the show before, that's sort of what these movies have to do. You have to have some larger thesis. And I don't think this one does, actually. This one is just sort of about what's that kind of person that we, you know, even in 1995, before the ratcheting up of this sort of thing, uh, spree violence was, like, already known. It was already a, a thing we lived with. And I, I think that's why, you know, even... Again, you've got the UT shooting. You've got a handful of uh, postal shootings in the late 80s, early 90s. So, like, this is in the zeitgeist, even though Columbine hasn't happened yet. So I I can't imagine this movie being watched in the year it came out because it's also the era of, like, the explosion of talk radio. Mm-hmm. Is, I mean, obviously, it's it's simmering for a couple of decades before the 90s, but Rush in the 90s sort of like... Right, big contract of America time when the Republicans strike back halfway through the Clinton administration, all of that's going on So this here. is an attitude that's being greenlit, and at the same time, the behavior in this movie is like, not okay. And I don't truly know what the zeitgeist would have made of this movie. I, I didn't do enough research on like reviews from the time. Yeah, I'd be curious, yeah. Yeah, um... But uh, it, it's it's again, this movie can only be kind of thought about as a wow, it's weird that there's a Hollywood movie that's sort of this student filmy as far as just like what it chooses to be about, which is like 
capital S versive, not subversive, but you know what I'm saying. It's mm-hmm. transgressive. There we go. It's it's pretty transgressive for a studio movie. Um, as far as making a protagonist that is the villain of the piece, mm-hmm. which I think is you know that's a choice. Uh, and you know, for better or worse, I think it, it makes it makes big choices, and um, I, I like a lot of them. I think this movie has things on its mind, and we'll we'll get into that more. But I, you know, Schumacher doesn't have a script credit on this, I don't think, but he definitely uh, understands what sort of movie he wants to make, and I, I think that the picture is better for his direction. Um, yeah, he's he's a director we've talked a lot about a lot on the show. I think he's kind of a a pretty prototypical good trash director. And this is definitely squarely in that pocket of like blockbuster bin disc, you know, discount movies that have way too much going on in them, you know, <laughs> to be just an unreasonable amount of like cultural documentation happening in this otherwise sort of forgettable movie. Fair enough. Fair enough. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you say in review of Falling Down? <coughs> I give Falling Down myself one star because I don't like to fall down. Yeah, that's, that's it's not bad. fun. It's not fun, especially if there's ice involved. Yeah, Ooh, that's bad. when it's mean. Uh, Michael, uh, sorry, not Michael Douglas. Uh, Joel Schumacher's Crash um, is a, a very good movie <laughs> um, <laughs> with a more nuanced commentary uh, than some Academy Award winning <laughs> films. Um, I, I couldn't help but think of Crash uh, while watching this and how it's probably a better movie. Um, I uh, I like things about it. I do. I mean, performances. Uh, Douglas and Duvall are, are, are riveting. I, I do think that's true. Um, I think it makes good use of geography and, and this kind of interesting odyssey. Um, and, and I do, the way I think that it plays with protagonist antagonist in an interesting way. I think there's a really cool shift in that in the in the finale where it, where it shifts that mantle of protagonist from. Michael Douglas to Robert Duvall. Um, because for all intents and purposes, Douglas is the protagonist. He's the main character. He's not necessarily a hero. <laughs> if you watch this movie thinking he's a hero... Uh, Seek therapy. Yes. Yeah. Um, Get help. But he is, he's you the main character. the show. You know. Yeah. Um, and really, Duvall is kind of leading the B story here. Uh, and there's kind of a point in the way it's filmed and the way it breaks where that switches in the, the finale. I think that's really cool. A way that they do that, and it really, I, I think, highlights who the good guy is and who the bad guy is, and what that means. Um, I think Duvall's great. He's one of my favorite actors. Um, he just does all these little ticks. I, I sent in the group chat. But he does that mustache comb mm-hmm. uh, all the time, which I think is a fun little tick that he just has. Pendergrass just like feels like a real dude. Yeah, you yes. know, like he. There's the stuff with his wife is so specific. Like it's yeah. without being. I don't know. A different in the hands of a different filmmaker, it could be a lot more. I don't know, misogynistic than it comes yeah. across here. It yeah. comes across as like a, a real, like supportive and good relationship despite its com- complexities. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I really appreciate those two. Um, I think it does some interesting stuff. I do think it's a little too long um, in the tooth. Uh, I, I think you could have trimmed it out a little easily. Uh, but I, I do think it does try to you know deal with some interesting stuff and at least frame a narrative in an interesting way. Because if you do flip it and Duvall's the main character and we're following his story for the most of the film, I, th- I think it's just a pretty typical film at that point and nothing really to s- set it apart. I'd be really curious to see the screen time breakdown. Yeah. Because you're, you're right. I mean, Douglas is definitely the lead for the at least the first half of the movie. Yeah. But they do share a pretty good amount of like the, story. Yeah, in the back half. Yeah, especially in the back half. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it does those things well. Um 
at the end of the day, though, I mean, uh, I, I think it's one. It's interesting to watch what once because that character study. I, I think yeah. the, the story it presents is interesting. Um, by and large, I don't know that it's one that I would go back to very often. I, I think it does a lot of technical stuff really well. I think it captures that heat of the day really well with that floating camera at the beginning. Uh, that kind of stuff is fun. Uh, but by and large, I, I think it's okay. It's an okay movie. It, it does get some stuff good and some stuff not so good. And uh, I, I think that that hook of of making the hero the the bad the the main character is really what sets it apart. I think, and especially in ninety two, ninety three. Um, on your note, uh, it holds a seventy three percent on Rotten Tomatoes based on fifty six reviews. Okay. Um, the consensus states falling down's popcorn friendly take on its complex themes proves disquieting and ultimately fitting for a bleakly entertaining picture of one man's angry break with reality. Um, and then uh, Roger Ebert gave it a positive review. That makes sense. Hal Hinson uh, seemed to give it a, a positive. Uh, Peter Travers, uh, Mick LaSalle from San Francisco Chronicle. So it seemed to be pretty well received. Yeah, people at the time. got what it was up to. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so it I think did kind of stand up and was somewhat. Uh, I don't know how it did financially, but maybe one of these reviews kind of makes it out to maybe that it would be more of a kind of a cult thing. And it kind of has that, right? But I don't feel like it has, you know, it's no natural born killers, right? Like, yeah. Not a lot of people had a f- falling down poster. Big red flag. Jesus, if you meet somebody that's got a falling down poster. Yeah, there's something wrong. That's not. I mean, I've, I've had some poster choices made in my life. But damn. Well, there's a way in which Michael Douglas' character is not Woody Harrelson. You know, uh, in in uh, Natural Born Killers, it, it, that's Woody, right? Yeah, um, that's Woody. Okay, it's like it's been a while since I've seen the movie, but um, there's there there there's nothing charming, sexy, charming. Yeah, yeah sexy. Uh, uh, I mean, not at all, right? Um, and so you, nobody wants to be him, right? As opposed to uh, other characters, it might be a little bit more politically troubled that um, are not, you know, that are much more attractively presented. You know, no one, everyone wants to kind of be the Joker for Halloween. No one wants to be Michael Douglas's yeah. character, not because it's just not aesthetically interesting, but he's not sexy. Yeah, yeah, you just don't want to be that. Yeah, yeah. yeah people would just think you're Sean from Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got, you got right on you, etc. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Arthur. I am also going to say I like the movie. I think it is. I don't think it's too long. I, I think it's well enough paced for me, and I enjoy getting through it. And I like its vignette structure. Uh, and, sure. and part of the, the structure, I mean, if you hadn't seen the film, is that the acts of violence themselves are sort of spaced out of these sort of discrete uh, hermetic little events. So they all connect and build on one another. Uh, he uh, basically uh, unlocks achievements and gets better it's, weapons. It's, it's Grand Theft Auto. It, yeah, it does feel like that. Yes, yeah, yeah. There is definitely some of that in the structure. But each encounter sort of builds on uh, the, the general sort of uh, frustration that the character has experienced as, again, a middle-class white guy. And so there's an economic displacement, there's racial displacement, and uh, there's, again, that sort of boomer kind of uh, general uh, disease with the world, and that is a disease. But that's a whole other conversation that we'll get to when we get to analysis, I'm sure. But I, I, I like the way in which it sort of approaches that and gives various nuances and flavors to that and so your encounter in a korean grocery store is one thing your encounter with a couple street gang members is another thing your encounter with a white supremacist is yet another and then bougie golfers at a country club is a different experience as well and then finally getting back to the wife and so and again that's not a spoiler i think in any way to no do it's that. just you've kind of laid out that this is broken up into chapters right and so each of those sort of function 
separate from one another. And there's a way in which, looking at Pendergrass, we, we sort of get to know him in the same kind of vignette kind of way. Totally. It, this is... You're, you're retiring, people like you, you're retiring, people think you're kind of a schlep, you know, you got this wife, you got this weird relationship with your captain, and then finally uh, finding a way into um, the ways in which he's been disrespected by many of his uh, colleagues, and finally saving the day at the end, uh, which is fascinating. Yeah, well, it definitely juxtaposes him as not the norm within right. his, his system, which I think is a good choice. Yeah, a choice. Uh, yeah, a choice, and I think a good one. You know, it avoids propaganda in that way, I think, perhaps. Although there are some propagandistic bits that we might want to talk about. But uh, more on that anon. But yes, I like it. That's what I'm trying to say. It's good. Um, this movie was nominated for the Palme d'Or. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. I could see that. I could see people yeah. from outside the U.S. like being like, "Ah, they get it. They know what's going on over there." Yes, it's like, yeah, and again, it's sort of that that character study of that kind of we we see this problem and you get it too. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that does seem like a Palm Dorish kind of thing to pick up on. Uh, Ebby Rose Smith, Eb E B B E. That's how you say that first name. Spell that first name. E B only wrote three movies. This being the the first uh, produced screenplay. Uh. Did Car Fifty Four? Where are you? Ninety four okay. the year, next year, but is mostly an actor. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Kind of interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I know, right? Well, there you go, dear listener. Those are our thoughts on the film in general. Now let's move on to more of what we do here, and that is um, think about this stuff academically. And the first way in which we do that is this little exercise we like to call expanding the syllabus. Arthur, can you explain to us what fa- explain, uh, expanding the syllabus is all about? If I can say words. Uh, expanding the syllabus is a thought experiment wherein we, the hosts, assemble an academic course or module within a course based around the assigned viewing for the week and adjacent texts from books and articles to tangentially related films and stories. That's very, very well done, Arthur. Thank you very much for that. Dalton, let's hear your syllabus. Well, I'm going to be borrowing a little bit from uh, this YouTuber, FD Signifier, who's got a really solid video about uh, what he calls uh, edgelord movies, um, and this kind of being a prototypical example of one. Um in his uh, fairly, I don't know, forty-five minute, half hour long video essay thereabouts, uh, he features some some works that would be really great for a class on this use that would use this text. Uh, some of those books are uh, "Angry White Men" by Michael Kimmel, "The Bully Society" by Jesse Klein, and "Why Kids Kill" by Peter Langman. Um, but he he takes a look at sort of this film, uh, Joker, you know, other films kind of in this orbit the fight clubs of the world and, and asks like, who do these movies appeal to? Like we know scientifically that media doesn't cause violence, but obviously there are people who have done acts of violence and people who sympathize with people who do acts of violence that are really gravitating to these films that might not even necessarily have a, a message that agrees with them on a personal level, but depicts behaviors or views that they identify with. Uh, and you know, uh, again, it's good video essay, and I think it lays some great groundwork here for a class that we probably call something like White Boys, Guns, in America. Uh, we'd look at Columbine the Book, which is a pretty uh, exhaustive and expansive look at everything surrounding that event. Uh, and I think that's some good groundwork for examining the problem of spree violence in America. And, uh, I mean, dealing with who primarily does it uh, and the similarities therein. Obviously, you know, there's your... Your Chris Dorners of the world, but that's a totally different thing, right? And mm-hmm. I, I think you have to acknowledge that there are differences going on between, uh, you know, somebody who 
tried to do all the rules uh, versus somebody who says they tried to do everything by the rules. I don't know if that makes that distinction makes sense. It does to me. Yeah, I got yeah. you. I think if we tease this out later on, it'll, it'll make a little bit more sense. But anyway, we'd have to look at this, but we'd look at, you know, Joker, Taxi Driver, Fight Club, uh, all of these sorts of similar uh, guys breaking bad movies uh, and uh, ask, why, why do these special white boys think they can remake this broken world? And is the world as broken as they seem to think it is? Sometimes, yes. But obviously, their diagnosis is usually lacking. Uh, FD Signifier's kind of large point, he really doesn't go for this one. You know, he thinks that some, like, The Matrix obviously has a lot more going on under the surface. Fight Club, you know, he acknowledges that's got a lot going on, especially it's it's sort of uh, homoeroticism. But he, he kind of positions this as not having anything else going on. And I, I think, uh, as I said, I think Schumacher being at the helm here really helps. You know, the, the couple in the uh, Navy Army surplus store is sort of a defining moment as is like how that whole moment plays out is it's a sequence in the film where Schumacher like explicitly says this guy is bad. And if he is presented with the idea that he's bad, he will lash out even harder than he has previously. If he is identified with something that he perceives as wrong, Mm -hmm. even though the film explicitly identifies him with, with a Nazi. Um, And I think that's such a huge choice. Like that, that sequence of the movie does say a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, because you could look at that scene and say, well, the only person he explicitly kills is a bad guy. And not wrong. But I, again, I think the movie does a really good job of of positioning defense uh, as being aligned with that guy, even if he can't see it. Right. Uh, and I think that's what this class would look at. Look at the, these sorts of trends of violence in our society. Uh, look at the media that uh, deals with it and, and look at, you know, where these things la- overlap and where they exist unto themselves as fiction and reality. Very cool, very cool. Well, what do you say, Arthur? What does your syllabus look like? Uh, I'm calling this So You Had a Bad Day. Um, <laughs> it's, I, bad day. It, I think it has a sociology element to it because I think yeah. a lot of these do deal a lot with culture, uh, environment, um, personal, you know, emotional, but and how we kind of feed off of each other and drive each other. And so I, I think these selections kind of really play into that uh, a little more. Um, in a kind of a sociological light than they would in, in a purely film studies way. Uh, but I think I, I got to start with Do the Right Thing. Um, yes. Another hot day movie. Hot, hottest day of the years. Um, and everything that takes place over the course of that day um, as driven by um, the social unrest and emotional turmoil of what's going on in those neighborhoods and how that all comes to a boiling point, um, I, I think kind of juxtaposed against... Um, Schumacher's story is kind of a fun pairing. Uh, from there, we do 12 Angry Men, mm. um, another one that has some heat uh, involved with it. but it, it, it Massive sweat of, stains, that's yeah, for sure. Uh, dealing a little bit with race, but also the idea of putting 12 people in a room and letting them, you know, all of their um, backgrounds and histories and personal anxieties and biases uh, wrestle out and, and trying to come to some sort of consensus and how that plays out and what that says, I, I think, somewhat about our justice system um, for, for quite a while, but also about us as, as a people group. Um, from there, we want to do Rope. Um, again, framing this with the, uh, the bad guys, kind of the main character here, uh, and looking at this kind of macabre social experiment that's taking place uh, with Farley Granger and... That other guy. Yep, there we go. <laughs> that's right. Thanks for the his co- support. His, his co-star. Thanks for the support. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> um, after that, I want to do Clerks um, to lighten things up a little bit. Um, Kevin Smith. 
But there is still some of that social anxiety. Brian O'Halloran, get the deep cut. You know, you know it. <laughs> Farley Granger and Brian O'Halloran. Is that yeah. what it was? <laughs> That's what I meant. Yes, correct. That's a much different rope and a much different clerks. Um, at least we know why that guy died. I love uh, the pick, though, right? Because it is still very much a had a bad day movie, but it is, yeah. yeah. But there's also, I think, something with masculinity and you know relationships and financial the social anxiety, systems and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And how that all kind of works together. Uh, from there, I want to do Nine of the Living Dead and kind of change it up again. Uh, but how it spoke, again speaks to some of the social anxieties of the time and, and where we are as a country and what we're dealing with uh, when, when it drops. And then I want to br- bring things full circle back to Schumacher. Uh, and I want to do Phone Booth, um, which again kind of plays with this idea of, of uh, a, a agent of chaos and a, a guy kind of out of his element uh, struggling to figure out what's going on in his world and how that plays is juxtaposed against uh, falling down. Now, Phone Booth has the distinction of being a movie that we didn't do for the show, but Dustin and I watched thinking we were supposed to do it for the show. And when we remembered we weren't actually watching Phone Booth, we were like, oh, we're like an hour in. We might as well, we might finish, well finish it. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's only a tight 80 minutes anyway. Exactly, yeah. It's a good movie. It is good. I, it's, it's sort of, for me, like the def- the definitive... Uh, had to be worked around 9-11 movie. Yeah, yes. I mean, it kind of came out in that weird period where Colin Farrell was just kind of getting panned for everything he did. and Too much of him, overexposed. Yeah, yeah and, and the idea was, I think, silly to a lot of people. Of, oh, you just had a movie in a phone booth for an hour? Like, I think it's fun. I, 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 I think it's solid. I like it. Yeah, we'll do it one day. Yeah, I, I think if phone booth comes out after the DC shootings, mm-hmm. I, I think it's a much more successful film, although it probably doesn't get made. Right. Yeah. If it's not made before that. Yeah. But that's my course. It would just be looking at movies where people are having very bad days. Very, very cool. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I think I would situate this film in a class on star studies, and I would choose as a uh, uh, method of emphasis is uh, famous actors and their sort of star personas. Again, we've read Cordova and uh, Picture Personalities would be a book that we'd look at a lot. And, uh, you know, Larry May screening out the past a little bit uh, just to sort of uh, frame the historical context of that. But looking at famous actors or uh, Hollywood heavies or directors and then their children. The dynasty. Yeah, the dynasty. So, you know, Robert Downey Sr., Robert Downey Jr. would be an example of something this. Uh, Judy Garland and Liza Minnelli would be another example. Uh, Tony Curtis and Janet Lee, and then their daughter, Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. Uh, and then with the example of this film, we'd be looking at Kirk Douglas and uh, Michael Douglas. And so when we do that, I mean, I don't know if I would put Spartacus on because it's long, but also Spartacus. It's a big deal. Kubrick all, all obviously is a... Dalton um, Trumbo. And Dalton yeah. Trumbo as a screenwriter. So there's a number of reasons why we might want to think about that film, especially its gayness. Uh, with uh, what's going on with the film, uh, the whole oysters and uh, snails conversation that got edited out of the original versions of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the queerness that is discussed in Schumacher's uh, Michael Douglas film, Falling Down. So I, I want to kind of keep it, but also I don't know that I could get away with it. If I didn't, I might do Ace in the Hole uh, for mm-hmm. my Kirk Douglas film. I don't know. I think Sparky's is a good choice. I know it's long, but like politically both in real life and like the metaphorical politics going on in the film i think it's a fun choice so yeah um, i'm spartacus uh, (laughs) well no 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 i'm spartacus but uh, now wait just one damn minute okay yeah right we all have to sort of be spartacus right i refuse to do it a third time 
Um, but yeah, so this would just be a week of the class uh, in which we have a, a, a Kirk Douglas feature and a Michael Douglas feature, and then sort of just talk about uh, the, the framing of that, um, some of their choices that would be made. I would think a lot about the game with Michael Douglas. I would think a lot about um, his work. Uh, probably I would think about not Basic Instinct, but his earlier erotic thriller, which is called... Basic Instinct. Oh, with Glenn Close. Yeah, uh, Fatal Attraction. Fatal Attraction. Yeah. I, I had it you in my head. You said Basic Instinct, and I was seeing Fatal Attraction. And so, right, like, my yeah, Fatal Attraction. Rabbit. Rabbit. Yeah. Uh, we found it. So uh, Fatal Attraction might be something I would think about with that rather than Basic Instinct. But needless to say, his erotic thrillers, uh, and again, I don't know if I'd go into the Oliver Stone... Um, Wall Street. Wall Street stuff, but I might. You know, again, just sort of framing, at least in lecture, we would talk about that. But I don't know how much we'd show of that in the Gordon Gecko persona, although that is one of his best known characters. That is his Spart. I mean, that is his Spartacus. Yeah. In that sense, and so that's worth thinking about. There is it. Yes, I guess it's not probably romancing the stone, which was like Mm-mm. a big hit, but didn't really stand the test of time. Right. It's probably Wall Street. Yeah. That's so. too bad, Mike. But there you go, dear listener. Your syllabus just got much longer. With that, I believe it's time to get down to business. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh, it's business. That's right, dear listener. It is business time, and that business means analysis. Dustin, you blazed past some early 90s stuff just a little bit ago, and I think we should, I mean pivot back a little bit and kind of situate this movie in its context, right? We, we, we start on uh, Mr. Forrester uh, in his car on a hot day, listening to some pretty dumb talk radio. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I forgot to mention during my syllabus, this uh, really good series from uh, the podcast behind the bastards that they just did on conservative talk radio. Looked at uh, an episode on Joe Pine, an episode on Wally George, an episode on speaking of Downey juniors, uh, Morton Downey jr. Uh, looked at those those three guys and sort of how they led to a, a radio climate that would kind of culminate in the 90s with Rush. Rush, yeah. And, and then you sort of just talked very briefly about this moment uh, where the, the Republican Party sort of becomes the animal that we know it today with Newt Gingrich, right? Yeah, well, well I mean, as far as your dates go, so 1992 is when Clinton is elected. Yeah. Uh, again, electing uh, Clinton against a first-term president uh, with George H.W. Bush, and the reason why Clinton won is because uh, Ross Perot split the conservative vote. And so um, he's he's elected without a mandate, without winning um, uh, 50% of the popular opinion as far as that election goes. So it's a high, it's contested, not contested in terms of like it's a stolen election like we deal with now, but contested in the sense of he's, a, he's an unpopular president just coming in. Yeah. You know, and uh, with that comes uh, 1994, and the uh, Republicans uh, take Congress, and this is when Newt Gingrich is elected Speaker of the House, and they begin with this sort of contract with America, which is uh, the beginning of, of the hyperpolarization that we see today. It's sort of like the doubling down on the uh, silent majority stuff. Right, correct. Yeah. Uh, this movie then comes out at a weird time, right? Mm-hmm. As far as, I don't know, it's fairly apolitical. Like, it doesn't have any specific politics. And, and then there's the end yet of it, right? Like, you don't need to really deal with William Forrester's politics because they're sort of written all over his face and chest. Well, he's fighting communists. I mean, he very much is that, again, uh, boomer generation kind of, of you know, standard 
raised in the 50s, you know, kind of American dream kind of guy. Um, you know, I, I say raised in the 50s, but I mean, this this man is not, what, 30 they years old? He's in his late 30s. His late 30s, so I mean, that would put his date of birth as, what, 1960 flat? Yeah. Something. Yeah, let's oh. say 60 flat. If Well, 93, so let's go ahead and say 50s. Or late fifties, right? yeah, late like fifties. So I mean, which would put him, you know, generally with where the boomers lie, yeah. but he's definitely a young boomer yeah. in that sense. And uh, as a young boomer, he's raising kids in the eighties, which does kind of make a little bit of sense uh, there. And uh, as such, he is disillusioned by the America that he was sold in. I think popular culture and media, again, John Wayne movies. I mean, the reference to Shane is clear there. He's going through a thing that I think our generations went through at like, I don't know, 12. Yeah. For various reasons, either the internet or nine elevens or what have you. Like, I think the next two generations like have these awakenings before they're adults. Right. Right. And he's, and again, just sort of waking up one moment. And I I think there's a way in which there's a quote I read recently that, uh, for the privileged equality will always feel like, um, oppression. Thank you for making me double take. I should say privileged people are generations in positions of privilege. I should have clarified. Like some people just know this shit, Right. right? Some people don't have to learn this stuff. And so he is a privileged person, but um, there have been some gestures towards that. And then, of course, there's been some just some general um, disillusion. He's not uh, economically viable. Yeah, you know, of society. Well, it's society itself. There are some places where the barrier... I mean, the, the parts of Los Angeles he walks through are obviously economically and uh, ideologically and politically oppressed, depressed areas. Yeah. And so you encounter street gangs. You don't really talk about why there are street gangs. This isn't... Boys in the Hood, we don't have Furious Styles coming out and giving us a good monologue to sort of explain and justify the Latino gang that but he means. But what if we did? What if we did? Would it be Pendergrast? Because it might No, be. what if Furious Styles just walked up? <sighs> God, if only. I mean, Furious Styles would have beat the hell out of defense and we'd, the movie's <laughs> over. <laughs> Set him straight, right? Yeah. Um, uh, Larry Fishburne would thrash Does, him. I mean, th- talking about those first two scenes, though, Dustin, like, obviously we don't have anybody to go. And and this is why it's important to know, like, why there were Korean shops in L.A. and, like, why mm-hmm. that would be really relevant a year prior during the riots. We don't have time to get there, but, like, does he come across as, like, virently racist in 93 as he does in 2021? Uh, no, Does I that just come across as, like, a, a standard, like, white guy with a tie job Yeah, I, I think it does come across as more standard in the 90s that you yeah. would say, you know, you need to slow down and learn to speak the language yeah. if you're going to live here. I, I can't mean, believe you're you're gouging your Coca-Cola prices. Yeah, Right. Uh, the, the reason why I, I say that, I look at the 90s and I look at the West Wing. Yeah. In the first season, there's a, uh, there's a moment in the West Wing where, again, the lefty, um, you know, Democratic uh, White House, uh, Toby Ziegler, uh, Richard Schiff's character, has an entire conversation with a man who is uh, able to speak a particular dialect of Indonesian, but uh, and also Italian or something, Portuguese maybe, but not English. And so there's like a three-way translation that's sort of played up for last. But to- but Toby says, you know, if you're going to live here in America, you got to learn to speak the language. This was a thing a person on the left would say. In yeah. the early 90s. A rich guy on the left. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, but fair, but you, yeah. It, yeah, and I mean, it was still a popular show in the Yeah, this, this is late 90s at this point, so this or, is yeah. after this, I right? Mean, early West Wing era, but yeah, it's a good point that that was like, you could still be considered, quote-unquote, a good guy and have that take Yeah, in 99 or whatever. And of course, we're, we're, we're better than that now, thank goodness, yeah, well, but... And we've learned more about Aaron Sorkin <laughs> yeah. a little bit. But uh, the the truth of the matter is, though, uh, that part of the film would probably resonate with most uh, Anglo audiences. I was, exactly. I was watching that scene like 
really having a bad time. And then there's a beat at the end of the scene that made me go, oh, God, would this have gone over as a laugh in the theater? Mm-hmm. And I feel like probably, and that's kind of a, a huge bummer, honestly. Right. Because, if, I don't know, the film does such a good job is of making him a villain that it, it, it was hard for me to see any moment where it's unclear that he's a bad guy. And again, that's, you know, I know the movie. I know what how it ends. He gets shot because he's going to, you know, definitely do a murder-suicide on his whole family. Right, absolutely. Right, like, that's absolutely what he's... St- I mean, the movie does has this whole B-plot with Barbara Hershey about how the cops can't deal with domestic violence, which yeah. is, I think, kind of a, a great B-plot for the movie. To just be like, hey, here's something that a lot of you should know but don't know. Right. Uh, the, the cops are useless for this kind of stuff. I do like that he doesn't know he's going to murder-suicide them. He yeah, doesn't know. He I mean, he absolutely to is going to do that, but mm-hmm. he is unaware that that's what this has yeah. taken him to. Yeah. Yeah, he's all all go go go. Yeah, he's all just, gas no just breaks. Id, uh, yeah, just it unleashed. You yeah, know. he's a little baby boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, go ahead. You're gonna I was going to move on to uh, the racism of the um, the South Central gang um, encounter, the Latino gang that he uh, yeah. has an encounter with, and I, I think that that works out in a way in which these guys are just a bunch of bullies and they're not really good at what they're doing and it really just takes somebody to thrash them. That I, I think this is probably one of the most tone-deaf pieces of the film um, because they're not able to do a drive-by ride and there's sort of these massive sort of casualties. And of course we are, we're aware of drive-by shootings and casualties yeah. that take place. I mean, that was well documented throughout um, the he 90s. He gets to be less villainous than them, though. Right, yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, and that they are, that at least he's doing what he's doing on purpose, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a, that, the precision of him shooting the guy in the leg, even though he misses the first time. And uh, the whole thing really just plays to me um, very much uh, a caricature and cartooning and sort of a, one of those propaganda moments. Can you it, believe what Los Angeles is like? Uh, uh, I just saw this film falling down. You wouldn't believe it. If the yeah. cops would just simply stand up to the gangbangers, right, yeah. then they, they would all back down. And they would end this sort of situation. They're just, they're, again, they're sort of like bullies who just need to find a bigger dog, and the bigger dog needs to put them in their place. A bigger white dog, I might point out. Um, but that seems to be the sort of problematic it's, there. Well, it's hard to tell. Like, I, I, I watch this movie, and there's moments where I'm like, okay, are they trying to, te- are they trying to not telegraph that this movie's not on his side? Or does the movie not know that it's not on his side in this in this moment? Yeah, I don't you know? know. It's it's really hard to tell with this picture sometimes. And again, I mean, you know, gang violence again, it, it's bad, and sure. it, it is sort of showing this. But that sort of ties into the idea of uh, when he goes through MacArthur Park there, and the guys try to hit him up for a sandwich, and he's hadn't eaten, but he's got a sandwich in his hand, and clearly, you know, it's one of those situations. You're a homeless person who doesn't want to work kind of thing, which is, again, a caricature that is often sort of thrown around by the right. And it does confirm that. And what's interesting about that moment is I think this is a little more nuanced because I think clearly it is this guy is working this particular kind of hustle. It is not... I think its particularity indicates that this is like an anecdote that people would use. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get what you're saying. Like that's sort of a half-true anecdote type thing that somebody told them the ronald reagan famous welfare queen kind of thing. not a real story yeah but there are 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 there people who work a system are there people who avoid working you know in order to sort of take advantage of uh, the social safety net of course that exists but it but it sort of is aware enough of the nuance there that it, it particularizes that into this guy being that not everybody in macarthur park is playing the same hustle sure. it seems to me anyway well and he's positioned as so villainous already at this point yeah. at this point he's got his duffel bag full of guns right and like 
the movie is sort of turned on him already. So it does like, I don't know, even it's not on either of their sides. It's, it's pretty rude to both characters, honestly, mm. but I definitely, I don't think it's more in, uh, Michael Douglas's back pocket, right? Like, I don't think the movie thinks it's cool to hassle unhoused people. Right. Um, but you're right. There's, there's a handful of scenes where it, it is just sort of murky what it's doing. Right. Um, can we go ahead and jump to, I mean, we're already kind of getting to that point in the film, just in this sequence of events we're talking about when he gets to the, uh, the surplus store. Yeah. The in between. So we have the, uh, the not McDonald's. Yeah. yeah whammy burger. <laughs> the whammy burger. Yes. With wham fries. Which I feel like that is sort of that big daddy moment. Uh, the big daddy's also got a breakfast stop being served moment, but that, that's sort of like, I feel like <laughs> the moment this movie's associated with is mm-hmm. people just wanting breakfast at a fast food restaurant after it's done. Well, and it's a, it's a very, um, to put a 21st century spin on, it's a very Karen kind of moment. Well, yeah. He literally yeah. asks to speak to the manager. Right. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's reminding you that these, these people have always existed. People who are like sort of just belligerent in public. I mean, look, you have a whole generation that ate a bunch of lead. It's not entirely their fault. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, he basically pitches a hissy because he can't get breakfast. He changes his mind, and he's mad that the Whopper doesn't look like the Whopper on the on, yeah. the, on the menu, right? Just terrorizing an and entire finding things. building full yeah. of people. Right. And, and th- this, of course, gets him a bit more known as far as an identified suspect, and then he hides out in the military surplus store, ran by the Nazi who was gay bashing to run them out but then the nazi covers for him and he allows it and he allows it and then the nazi spouts his racist propaganda the idea that um this restaurant will be full of african-americans and that's why you ought to be shooting it up and holding it hostage well, and then he's real proud of his icon b canisters and yeah. all this stuff and michael douglas freaks out because he realizes this guy likes me yeah. And somehow Michael Douglas has gone throughout his entire day and not realized, yeah, of course this guy likes you, you idiot. Which is why we need to talk about you January are... 6th. Oh, now. we have to? All right. Uh, because I, I think I think it's important here because this is one of those things where yeah, there probably. are these sort of right-wing, again, sort of uh, faux-disenfranchised type folk sure. who um, feel a, a real and genuine angst. They don't really know why and they don't know where to f- place that. And it leads to a set of political allegiances that makes friends with people that they would otherwise disassociate themselves with. Sure. But they fail, and I think in this case, is a good, this is a good example here. Michael Douglas fails to see that what I'm doing, the behaviors in which I am participating, are those which give license and uh, give validity and platform groups of people like Proud Boys or like this particular Nazi um, Surplus store owner. Yeah. And the, the, the sort of way in which there is a distinction. I don't think Michael Douglas's character is racist in the sense that a Nazi's racist. He's racist in the way that lots of people are racist without really... Casual racism. Yeah, yeah the casual racism. As opposed to being a committed bigot. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's sort of a weird moment, and I think what you're talking about like is this weird Venn diagram of both like a neoliberal and a neoconservative tendency to like mystify culture, right? Mm-hmm. To mystify class and race and to make them into these big unconquerable things that we like just can't unpack, which I don't know if it's necessarily true. I think that, yeah, you know, through talking and study, we can probably deal with a lot of this shit. Right. But I'm also an idiot. So that's well, what I'm mentioning. I'm an idiot with you, I guess. But so. uh, yeah, it's I think there's like a deliberate mystification though, right? So you can say, oh, the culture is gone, or whatever side you're on, like you can have some complaint about 
how things are per- perceived in the media. Yeah, crime in South Central, bad. Yes, agreed. Okay, right. sure. Yeah. yeah. Why does crime happen in South Central? That's but, bad. And yeah, you that... don't really want to talk about that. Right. On either side of an issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you're right, though. He, he is different. And it is a sort of 90s kind of different, right? It's like Bill Hicks and... Dennis Leary, are, are, this is their era, right? Like, mm-hmm. The Angry White Guy is a cool volume to be in 1993 for whatever reason. I don't know if it's talk radio, as we've already mentioned, but, like, it's just, like, that's sort of, it's a moment where that's a cool thing to be. I don't... It is. so strange to think, look back on as an era. Just, yeah. yeah. Andrew Dice Clay, another one. Yeah, right. And, and yeah. so it's... it's I don't know why it's of, all comics, but like... Hey. It's misogynistic, it's it, it's casually racist, but it's casually misogynistic. Again, mm. not Proud Boy kind yeah. of misogynistic. It, it, but it's, it pays it's racist, the way for but it's 30 not, years. It's not Nazi kind yeah. of racist. It's yeah. it's just, hey, wait a minute. I Every once in a while, I see something unfair, and then I glom on to that, again, anecdotal bit of unfairness. Mm. And uh, because to the privileged equality looks like oppression, as you as you so succinctly put. And so, yeah, they, they then they lose their ever loving minds. But then when somebody actually goes ahead and says it, you know, oh, no, I'm scandalized. I can't believe, you know, again, uh, I, if you listen to conservative radio on January 7th, which I did. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that's just good uh, research. Yeah, uh, and, and there, there was a lot of discussion of I can't believe, you know, we, we, we lost the moral high ground and and. <laughs> You know, associating <laughs> with these people, and they're sort of surprised. Of course, there was a lot of denial, like it was Antifa, sort of uh, infiltrators, you know, a false flag kind of thing, which has been utterly disproven. But so that some of that conspiracy theory stuff was floated at that point. But there was a lot of just like, I, guys, we gotta we gotta think better about tactics because these are not us. And yet they don't realize that yet they totally are y'all. Yeah. You and and uh, there you go. You're talking about two different kinds of people. People right. who like don't realize that. Uh, that there's a certain type of uh, joking that paves the way for uh, mainstreaming some shit. It's just not like Dave Chappelle doesn't want to be a turf. Like he is. I'm sorry, bro. Mm-hmm. Like it sucks. I, I I I'm sorry that nobody can explain this to you and get it into your rich guy brain that like once you reach a certain point of money, like you you're a bad guy when you say certain things. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. So. Well, okay, so are we are we done with that scene, or do we want to talk more about the gay bashing moment? Yeah, it's just because he is such an icon of, like, heteronormativity, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he is, and even, he, he bristles, like, visually. Like, Douglas in the performance bristles at the gay bashing. He didn't do anything. He didn't right. say anything. Mm-hmm. Just like when the guy who's uh, protesting his refusal to get a loan. Right. He doesn't do anything when the cops show up and arrest this guy who is actually an aggrieved American simply exercising his First Amendment rights, and he has, he has nothing to say. And I think that these are two very key moments that the movie chooses to highlight, like, what yeah, he, this dude's agenda actually is. He sees other oppressions, but he's not interested in helping that out. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it. really what it comes yeah. down to. Yeah. And, and he had, well, we, what privilege is is the option whether to protest or not. Yeah, there you have it. Mm. I, and that, I think that kind of ties back into the talk radio stuff and this, again, this... Uh, I. Oh, I, I should have written it down. I think maybe it's that Michael Kimmel guy I referenced earlier, but aggrieved entitlement is somebody's mm-hmm. like big academic $2 word that they put together. And yeah, it's it's a thing. And and this definitely engages with how that's... I don't know, I name-checked Chris Dorner earlier, uh, which is, you know, I don't, I'm not going to make a comment on, on that. I'm just I bring it up to say like, a guy who uh, gets fired by the police because he says there's too many corrupt cops is different than a guy who shoots up a post office. Right. I don't know how it's different. 
I don't know that I can fully like in front of a jury articulate how it's different. That's not my job, but it is different. Yes. Uh, do we have anything else to say about? Uh, I know we, you're right. You were kind of were putting a bow on this as far as like Michael du- the Michael Douglas character of it all. But right. We well, I was going to mention just the class bit with the golf course. Okay. Right, sure. You know, and and, and and this is one of those places where where, where some intersectionality comes to play w- alongside our uh, aggrieved uh, bank loan uh, applicant sure. uh, of an African American descent, uh, where. Um, he is experiencing um, a, a bit of economic depression, and he sees these rich as the enemy, but not enough, right? And, and so it, it's just sort of an interesting moment there where that's that, that is that intersection of where this um, kind of aggrievedness could have some real political traction that would make some change. That Briefly might be- identifies the problem. Mm-hmm. Right. You have all this private land fenced off for yourselves. There should be children playing here. Right. Yeah. And which is not wrong. I mean, although I like to play golf, um, not wrong. And but it's a bad game for kings. That's what I say. Yeah. I don't. know. I like to hit the balls, and I'm very bad at it. Yeah, I'm not very good at it. That's why they invented putt putt. Exactly. This is why they invented putt putt in driving ranges. We don't need golf courses. (laughs) (laughs) The two best parts of golf have been distilled. Yeah, yeah. But um, that all being said, though, there is there's a way in which, again, the emphasis and the energy is not focused there, and so I I like the inclusion of that moment. You know, I hate Mm -hmm. that the guy dies. You know, and uh, whatnot, but. I just don't like people dying. Uh, you're a good person. Okay. <laughs> I'm pretty neutral on it. I'm like, yeah, that guy seemed like he sucked. He, <laughs> he does hit a golf ball with a guy. I'm saying. Pretty rude, yeah. Yeah. He doesn't I mean, look, again, Michael Douglas does suck in this movie, but he doesn't know that. Yeah, he does yeah, he does not have a justifiable reason for it. No. Yeah. So but um let's move into uh Pentagrass a little bit because you were um a little bit co- uh, warmer on his relationship with his wife. I didn't say it was like super healthy. It's definitely codependent, but like that doesn't mean it's bad. Yeah, it's I, I, complicated. It, it does seem like the movie narratively is structured when he finally tells her to shut up on the phone. Yeah, it wants you to be proud of him. It wants you to be proud yeah. of him for sort of like getting his balls back, right? It, yeah, it, 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 uh, which is mm, that's problematic. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, because it, it yeah. positions his like his buddy. Uh, God, what's his? former now former partner's name i don't know malia from total recall yeah exactly uh, yeah her. i know i can't think of her name anyway she's like the the victim of so much like casual workplace uh misogyny cop misogyny uh so it's so interesting to see her be like high-fiving him about standing up to his wife yeah right yeah. like because she's kind of i don't know it, it definitely doesn't know what to do with all of those characters right and like the, the acting of those scenes feels uneven for that reason because she doesn't, I don't know, It's it, her reactions to him standing up to her feel wrong. But it does know. end up in the climax where he stands copy. up to the captain, right? And refuses to give the captain credit yeah. and um, finally swears, yeah. right? You know, and that's a, it's a good swear line. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. It's good. The punch is funny. I have nothing more to say about it than that. I do think, I mean, I think that kind of through line of Duvall's character kind of dying to self to protect his wife mm, from mm-hmm. scrutiny is is interesting, but yeah, I, I just don't think they land the plane right with that kind of he's got his balls back moment. Yeah, yeah. because you're right. Like that's such a good way to put it. He has no ego about it, and mm-hmm. that's he's like he's yeah. Let these people. He's pick taking on me. a lot of crap care. for her protection, yeah. right, well, and yeah. her peace of mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah, like yeah. no, I love her. That's enough yeah. reason. It's all in, it's all it requires. You know. But yeah, the, the way they kind of frame her as 
needy and yeah. overly neurotic kind of in a, a wet way. blanket yeah, yeah. Is, is kind of i think harmful it hamstrings like what could be a really interesting moment of juxtaposition between pendergrast and defense right yeah and i think making her more of a caricature than really kind of getting to spend more time and really understanding her we understand why she's concerned but it's all, it all is almost more of a uh, caricature from, mm-hmm. from yeah, her. somebody with like severe neuroses of yeah. some kind, yeah, or just some sort of atypicalness, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it again, it it could be a lot more. You're right, understanding of that character, empathetic towards her, and it. I don't know. This movie it seems so much to be saying that this certain type of masculinity is bad. So it's weird when it asks Pendergrass to like be part of it, right? When it seems to want to condemn a certain type of of viewing the world. So let's get to Barbara Hershey as we conclude here. Um, yeah. Uh, because, yeah. She's great in this. You can't, oh, she, man, she's always great. I she love is, her. She is great. And, and those scenes are so critical. Like, because mm-hmm. he's such a fucking villain in every scene where he's on the phone with her. Yeah. And they're so crucial for this movie, like, explaining, like, what it's it's trying to do. Right? It is trying to say that this is a type of person that exists and they're very dangerous. Right. And if you know a person like this, you should stop placating them. You should stop being on their side. Yeah, and, and yeah. Th- that's the the sort of again ideological mindset that he has uh, submitted himself to. The um, the result is domestic violence. Yeah, right. And so that that entitled aggrievement, as you mentioned earlier, that evinces itself in finding somebody weaker and picking on him. Right. Mm-hmm. Even though he didn't actually do anything, you know, and that, that whole discussion about did he actually hurt? No, I think he could, you know, and all that. And just how classic ho- cop stuff, classic cop stuff. But how hard it is to just to get someone to listen to you like this is a dangerous situation. I mean, a VPO is a lot easier to get now, I think, than it was in 1993, 94, whenever this film came out. But that being said, it's still very difficult to do. And the justification and uh, documentation required is still a challenge. Uh, for many uh, women and children victims of domestic violence. And so, yeah, problematic, you know. The moment in the back of the, you know, obviously we, we've, we've talked about the scene, but I do I'm circling back for a reason. Um, when he kills the neo-Nazi in the back of the store, he shoots his own reflection. And I think mm-hmm. it's so key, at, like because it is the moment where he, he takes off his businessman clothes and puts on the, the commando. The G.I. Joe, right? Yeah, he becomes G.I. Joe in this moment that he is killed whatever is in him. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of visual metaphor going on with that mirror, but like it is a moment that says, no, he, he recognizes that he is like this bad person and he has now chosen to fully become all of the things that are bad mm-hmm. in, inside of him. It's a, uh, I don't know. It works for me. He's got yeah. a full taxi driver. Yeah. The, the, the mirror has split. Yeah. yeah. It's, right. it's a pretty classical visual metaphor, but like, I don't know. I think it's cool. Right. I, I, I do wonder about the cho- the choice of suicide by cop, though, at the end of the film. Again, we're fully in spoiler territory at this point. Of course. Um, and so he... The, oh, does, like, does that absolve him in any way, you mean? Well, or? because it's like, my kid will get the insurance money if this happens this way. Mm. And uh, that the, in some yeah. way, he he's allowed to be given the lines... Mm. Um, Absor- at, absolve him. ...to sort of make what he's about to do noble, and his final act is an act of nobility. It's pretty somehow. Hollywood. Yeah, it's pretty Hollywood, I guess. But, yeah, I, I, I do find that frustrating. Don't need it. Yeah, at the end of the film. Yeah, I agree. I'm with you. I didn't even think about it, but you're absolutely right. It, it is a moment that sort of like, I don't know, it necessarily tries to redeem him, but you're right. It tries to give him a moment of nobility, mm-hmm. of grace. Yeah. It tries to make his death something other than what it is. It, it becomes sacrificial rather than simply like, okay, this is my last challenge, and I know I'm going to lose, yeah. but I'm just going to, you know, yeah. uh, show my prize. I would have got you. I mean, that's a great ending. Right, mm-hmm. you know, I couldn't have, but uh, you know, this is there's nowhere there's nowhere else for me to go. That's fine, but that whole you know, well, if you kill me, 
in my you know life. Yeah, that's what I like about the Pendergrass half of that equation is like it's not positioned as the um, you know the Al and Die Hard thing, right? It's not like Pendergrass just has to just like get some slugs in somebody to be a man. It's like mm-hmm. no, he just like is desperate to keep a child from dying, right? Mm-hmm. Just. I don't know. That works for me, man. I think yeah. that's I'm dumb and idiot, and that kind of stuff works on me. What yeah. can you say? I like that part mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, yeah. It, it's I don't know. It's just good screenwriting to like give him a real motivation to like actually as an actor do something with. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't know. Arthur's right. Like, I I love Duvall. Uh, he does so much with his character that could be such a like a cookie cutter movie stock guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he feels like a real person mm-hmm. in ways that are like super, it, like uh, just like a, a very ready to retire civil servant with one shit left to give. You know right, what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. And he pulls it off so well. Uh, he's very compelling. I, again, here a duagonist is that the word? When there's a second protagonist, or, I, I there's I like a fancy it. word. For sure. It. Yes. I think I'm mispronouncing. I study literature. Yes. You're yeah, one, yeah. You two should know this. I don't know. <laughs> Um, all right, well, let's go ahead and render a verdict here on falling down. Again, we don't like to fall down, but we're talking about the movie. Um, so, uh, do you like falling down or not? Shelf or trash? Arthur, go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's where. I, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I think lightly in the trash is where I would put this. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. What do you say, Dalton? I mean, this is currently streaming on Hoopla, which comes through with the library card, and that's where this movie should be, is... <laughs> Oh yeah, on the shelf of In a your library. local library. Yeah, it's, library. It's it's a piece of research material if you're researching uh, shitty white guy movies. Right. Um, yeah. I I, to- I totally agree. I I really enjoy it. I still think it's a, a fascinating, fascinating. It's a great film. action thriller. Like it works as far as like the filmmaking. Yeah, right. on a number of levels. But yeah, do, as far as owning it, no, it's it's really not necessary yeah, in that sense. Of, it's a bummer. Yeah, and it is. Bu- yeah, I mean, Mr. Just, Lee is such a nice character, and the movie's so. I know that actor from some other stuff. Yeah, he's in everything. Right, he's a yeah. good character actor. So yeah. there you go, dear listener. Those were our thoughts on that. If you have thoughts about it, you can get them back to us. Dalton, tell them how. Uh, yeah, if you want to find us on the internet, there's a couple ways you can do that. Uh, if you're unfortunate enough to be on social media, we're on Twitter at Good Trash Media. Um, find us there. You know, we're we're tweeting about movies that we like. We're tweeting about reviews and uh, news and silly things and sharing the the podcasts that we make and that our friends of ours make. Uh, so uh, you know, if you like uh, stuff that we're making. Uh, you should check out some people we know. Uh, the Praise Down with Heath and Alex, Bad Girls Die First, The Wheel of Randy with Dan Wade, uh, Twilight with Kirsten and Aaron, uh, also one of the hosts of uh, Bad Girls Die First. So yeah, there's there's all kinds of fun stuff for you to go check out. You don't need any blue check mark having people to uh, enjoy a podcast, although I think um, Claire from uh, Bad Girls Die First has a check mark now. Well, Fancy. I think. I could be wrong. That's cool. It's cool when it happens to somebody, but if they already have it, then I'm, you know, then I'm yeah. like, don't listen. You don't need to listen to their podcast. Uh, how? Oh, long form feedback. Good trash genrecast at gmail dot com. Um, yeah, rate, review, subscribe if you like the show, but you're not subscribed. I don't. What are you doing? How do you listen to podcasts? I don't understand. Uh, but that's that's about the long and short of it, Dustin. All right, thank you very much, Dalton. Hey, Arthur, can we do another movie? Oh, I suppose we can. Uh, next week, we're going to talk sci-fi, nostalgia, intellectual properties, and. Steven Spielberg, Listen. when we talk, ready, player, one. I thought you were going to say Super 8. That that makes more sense. Ready, player, one sounds like a lot of fun. I haven't got up to it yet, so I'm glad to do that. Dustin, it's a lot like The Matrix, but with more IP. Okay, well, there you go. Um, you keep watching, we'll keep talking, friends, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you.